And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Episode 288 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Angela Bones Bullock. Back again. Back back again. Can't can't keep me away. Nor would we try. <laughs> I've already done one one episode this year that is just me talking by myself. No one wants a repeat of that. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like Aaron Mankey with Lore and his and his other podcasts are like one of the few that that works on. But that was also an entirely different uh, format and purpose. So, yeah, and like I assume it's scripted. Yes, scripted is one thing. I did not script that episode of Panelology, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, uh, that is a thirty-something-year-old white dude rambling into a microphone. Aren't all podcasts that are like ninety, like ninety, ninety-five yeah. percent? More than should be. More than should be. Let's talk about some comics, though. Let's. Batman number 117, the finale of Fear State, other than, I guess, Fear State Omega number one, Mm -hmm. and James Tynan's last issue on the regular Batman series. Yeah. Um, I really liked Fear State. Uh, and I think I finally kind of realized why in terms of, uh, the kind of the wrap up of this issue, mainly just the examining of the nature of fear, but then also how Batman kind of uses it. Uh, of course, you know, definitely fascists use it, which is what the magistrate is like. They call themselves Mm -hmm. the magistrate. Like you, you should have workshopped that one more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah also their private their private security of course they're fascists yeah yeah it's you know uh blackwater all over again except for stateside um yeah it just and then also the whole so you have that so you have those natures of fear but then also of course scarecrow who like doesn't actually use his toxin that much in this storyline until like the very very end it's mm-hmm. just i just like the i get i guess it kind of like makes it's a I I think a great reinvention of Scarecrow, kind of because it concentrates on he doesn't need the fear gas at this point necessarily to like I agree yeah to like make people fearful and to like set the city on edge because uh, for most of most of this storyline he doesn't really do anything besides just like plant scarecrows every once in a like in different places that are just literally cloth and straw look bo burnham warned us about this <laughs> uh i also love this scarecrow redesign that it's... jorge jorge jimenez has done for this run oh it's great i i absolutely adore uh Hor- um how do you pronounce his last name jimenez jimenez yeah i i've uh adored his his work for a while because i think i think i first encountered it when he was doing superman with bendez mm-hmm. um which i really liked and his his art 
man it's just in i i do i just i just really love it i can't fully quantify it um especially with tameu mori on colors like yes their work on especially like cityscapes anything with a strong lighting element always looks so cool it it astounds me like the communication between those two must be super detailed or just like Jorge knows what to because like if you look at the if you look at uh, his Instagram because I follow Jorge on Instagram and you look at the process uh, from pencils to inks to then colors like what is inked and then colored like it it looks entirely different just ink uh and then adding the colors over it like because otherwise it looks kind of bad sometimes with um. Or at least compared to the final product before the colors are added. Because, like, certain things are kind of, like, washed out or, like, they just seem odd choices until the colors are added. Yeah, I could see that. Like, especially if he's leaving contrast in different, Mm -hmm. essentially what would be flatted areas. Yeah. To help with the flatting process or help draw that distinction. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. I feel like you don't get art that looks as good as this does without there being awareness on both sides of how the other works. Yeah, and yeah, and it's I I love looking at those process shots because you, you definitely see like how they how they're working together and it's it's magic. Yeah. The other thing I really dig about Fear State is and I don't normally like to compare one storyline to another, but since they're both tying and I'm gonna do it. There is a difference to me between this and uh, the Joker War. Yeah, the Joker War. Yeah. Um, we've had so many, so many plot lines with with riffs on Joker and War in it that I lose track sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, not the War of Jokes and Riddles. That was a different thing. That was Tom King. Yeah. Comparing these two storylines, it's really clear to me how much, and obviously this is setting the stage for when uh, Josh Williamson takes over Batman to leave Gotham for a while, but how much more this storyline really leans on the people around Batman mm-hmm. carrying as much weight as Batman, how much it feels more like an ensemble piece yeah, it is than super just a well, Batman book. It's super well balanced at that, too. Just yeah, the, like, yeah. You, you got some of that in Joker War, but I think this takes it to another level. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, I need to get a hold of these issues. Pretty much the only part I didn't was... Um, I guess the specials, or the special, maybe that was this week, with uh, Gardner and um, Harley, where apparently they find the other Ivy. Those, I think, actually are in Catwoman. Those are in Cat, okay. I think those were Catwoman issues, because there was one issue of Harley that I read, it's like, see Catwoman to find out how they got here. Yeah. And I am catching up on books. Like, to read Batman 117, I had to read from... 113 on and all those secret files one shots yeah i am actually behind on catwoman as well despite my my love of rom v and his work Hmm. uh i i guess i'll be catching up on that next week but i think that's where it's been happening because harley uh, not harley uh Poison Ivy has been kind of an ongoing factor in catwoman since he took over the book yeah uh but speaking of harley and ivy it is now fully canon in the ongoing main 
DC universe of Harley Ivy smooching. Yep, there is no question. Yeah, there's no there's no funny hints, there's no jokes. It's like, nope, they full full splash page. <laughs> They're making out. <laughs> we get we get a couple of a couple of smooches in Gotham this week, in fact. Well, I guess one was last week. I also caught up on Nightwing. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Nightwing, though, since it is a part of Fear State yeah. and also incredible. Yes, uh, Tom Taylor is doing a, doing a fantastic job there. Where, yeah, um, you have, uh, I really like, well, it's it was going back and forth between the um, Bat book uh, in the backup and Nightwing a little bit, where the Batgirls... Uh, mm-hmm. The tower is the the Oracle signature tower is blown to pieces after her network is compromised um, by a new villain, the Seer, and so that's kind of where Nightwing and Batwing, uh, not Batman and Nightwing, end that plot line at this point. Um, where yeah, the Batgirls are kind of uh, homeless for a little bit. Until the ongoing that's uh, starting this month. Yeah, I think the the backup in Batman this week showed like the the safe house where Cass and Steph are waiting out for Batgirl to like come get them and or for Barbara to come get them and be like, here is our new headquarters. Yeah. Um, because spoiler alert, Barbara's staying with Dick because they smooched too. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did indeed. Uh, and, and Steph said it all when she just said, finally. <laughs> it is, it is funny. I do not know where you stand on shipping Dick Grayson, if you have a strong opinion one way or another. Brian and I talked last year during, uh, the Darkest Night tie-in, Darkest, Death Metal tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was one that was dealing with the history between Dick and Barbara. And our stance at the time was neither of us has ever really felt invested in this. It felt like something that happened in the cartoon that people always kind of wanted to lean into, but never felt like super fleshed out in the comics. And I think Tom Taylor has done a good job over this year of building that to something that actually feels satisfying. Oh yeah, there's definitely... His version of them definitely has chemistry. Um, I I wouldn't say I have super strong feelings about it, mainly because like I haven't really cared that much about Dick Grayson outside of the original Teen Titans cartoon. Fair. Um, which there he was with Starfire. Um, kind of that one was very will they want they until like the season fin- until the series finale. Um, but yeah, no, it's I yeah with with the way Tom Taylor's writing them, it's really it's really enjoyable. It's uh, um, I'm looking forward to that uh, to that chemistry ongoing. He'll probably you know be crossovers with the new Batgirl book, uh, or Batgirls, excuse me, is the title of the new book, which I'm excited about. I am too. I am hopeful that it does. I think right now it's just a six issue miniseries. But I am hopeful that it sells well enough that that gets expanded. Yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, because they ended Barbara's own book. Stefan Stefan Cass, uh, while I've been reading DC, haven't really had a place 
they've they've been kind of shoved away for years at this yeah. point. Steph was in Bendis's Wonder Comics stuff some, specifically in Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, if you haven't gotten a chance to go read Bendis's Wonder Comics stuff, A+, absolutely adore all of it. It is all wonderful. Uh, Cass was in uh, Outsiders. I was like, Outlaws. Outlaws was the word that kept coming to my head. Cass was in Out- Outsiders for a while. But that ended last year, too. Yeah. So yeah, like the it's it's uh it's nice that you get to see all three Batgirls get together. Um I am looking forward to that. And I yeah, I I hope it's an ongoing. Like I don't know if it's an on- I haven't seen No, it is no, it is an on- new ongoing cuz I that that's that's what the ads have been saying. Okay, cool. For whatever reason, I thought it was announced as a six issue. It's- cool. Yeah, they don't always say, like, oh, this is a miniseries. Like, uh, I feel like they don't always say that, and then it ends up being one. And you're- yeah. Well, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that I saw Becky Cloonan tweet about it, and maybe she called it a six-issue miniseries at some point. Yeah. Because a lot of these books, they do, that is how they pick them up. They pick them up for six issues, 12 issues. It's like, if this does well, we'll give you more, but we're not going to announce it as a miniseries. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's like, all right, y'all plan for six issues, and then if it sells well enough by issue four, we'll give you more rain. Yeah. While we are in Gotham, let's also, uh, let's hit on Batman's Secret Files, The Gardener. You mentioned this earlier. Mm -hmm. This is written by James Tynan IV with art by Christian Ward, letters Tom Napolitano, and art and colors by Christian Ward. Why did I... Say letters first. I don't know. Um, we definitely. Underrated. I don't think we mentioned. I don't think we mentioned Nightwing either. Uh, that was written by Tom Taylor. Art by Robbie Rodriguez. Colors by Adriano Lucas. Letters by Wes Abbott. Uh, yeah, letterers are wildly underrated. Um, I don't think anybody gets stuck with more crunch in the comics industry than letterers. Yeah, it's like yeah, hey, you're just slapping words on, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm sure there are editors who feel it too. To be fair, I'm sure there are, especially in, like, licensed work environments. Yeah. But that is neither here nor there. This is the secret history of The Gardener. Uh, I actually kind of, I, I, I dug this. It it kind of becomes a retelling of Poison Ivy's origins as well. Mm-hmm. It kind of does double duty as both. I definitely feel like we didn't talk about the Peacemaker uh peacemaker one secret files issue that came out a couple of weeks ago it was fine um but i don't feel like it told us much that we didn't know already from just issues of batman this gives us a lot a lot more information um and it does a thing that i know i know is probably not everyone's cup of tea but that i dig especially when you're finding ways to reconcile decades of continuity And it throws a bunch of different characters into one shared origin story. Uh, The Gardener, and Poison Ivy, and Alec Holland, and Linda Holland, and I think there was one other in this list as well, too, who I didn't recognize, maybe? Uh, We're all students in a graduate program run by Jason Woodrue. Hmm. Now, now, crush my memory, or... Tell me, because I 
doesn't ring any bells. J- who is Jason Woodrow? He is a longtime Swamp Thing antagonist. Okay. Um, does he have a code name? He's the one who always gets like the flower eyes. Is he the Floronic Man? That's him. That's the one. Oh, yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh it's a great name that they don't use as much anymore because I guess they feel like it sounds silly, but I adore that name. Yeah. Well, I also know that under the Floronic Man, they had some weirdness uh, with the, what was it called? The New Guardians? It was in the late 80s, early 90s. Like, Floronic Man was turned hero for a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Uh, It gets weird. They had they fight a villain that's powered by cocaine. Uh, that's I, not a- I I know that I know that I know that one. I'm familiar with that one. <laughs> yeah, that that's where he comes from. <laughs> gotcha. Snowflame. Yeah, comics are weird. <laughs> that was a main, the fact that that was a mainstream book and not like a black and white comics with an X villain. <laughs> it's like no. That made it into a DC book where he snorted cocaine and got powers. Like, there's a non-zero chance that character eventually shows up on Doom Patrol. <laughs> oh God! On the sh- I would love for Snowflame to to appear on the show. They've already done Beard Hunter. All right. Yeah. Snowflame. Animal, vegetable, mineral man. They did. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, Snowflame needs to be in season four. <laughs> start your petitions (laughs) uh but yeah that's i mean that's the gist of this though it gives them all the sort of shared combined history truthfully coming out of what for most of them was a very optimistic place of trying to save the world trying to combat climate change and protect rainforests and natural resources and just how they kind of lost the thread, the gardener and Ivy both mm-hmm. in doing that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really solid, really solid sort of character piece. Yeah, yes, I I think I meant to pick it up like I saw it on the rack, but like I I go to my comic shop on my lunch break, so like I have to like grab and go. Yeah. Okay. Two more Gotham books. Robin's number one, written by Tim Seeley, art by Baltimore Rivas. Colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. and Letters by Steve Wands. This was the winner of an online poll for which of these pitches called, should get a miniseries. And, and by the way, they called it and pitched it as a round-robin tournament. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I, just wanted, have... I wanted to make that clear for the listen. The, the winner of the round-robin tournament was Robin's. I just appreciate that we are slowly getting, okay, fine, if we can't have the GLQ book, we're just going to gradually introduce buy versions of every single hero we can, unless and until we get that book. But, yes, uh, Seelie is always fun. The The premise here is the Robins get together to talk about the legacy of being a Robin, and apparently there is a secret first Robin none of them knows about, who is bitter and angry and attacks them. She uh she kinda reminds me of that um uh I think it was supposed to be Jason. The the jokerized one from like the uh the second Dark I can I can never remember if it's Dark Knight Returns or Dark Knight Rises. 
That's the second one of Frank Miller's work. Uh, I think Rises is the second one. Yeah. Um, I am admittedly not an expert on anything Frank Miller. Yeah. But that, uh, yeah, some, like, <laughs> some weird stuff has happened to, I think, either... Because I think this was before Jason Todd was killed. And so he, there was still a bunch of animosity towards him. <laughs> um, and so he, like, has turned evil or, like, t- like taken some type of, I don't know, very, yeah. Uh, he kind of, like, or, like, the Batman who laughs, those, those, uh, yeah. Robins. The Crows. Yeah. Um, kind of get, kind of giving me those vibes a little bit in terms of her design, because she's on the last page. Uh, which the fact that they did have Stephanie there uh, is because I know she gets overlooked in terms of the lists of Robins. Because and so what is it? I think it's Jason, Jason or uh, or Damien. That's the asshole. Which is like, it was just like, all right, well, you were the, it's like you were Robin for seventy six days, and thirty of those you were suspended. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, we don't we don't get any act, interaction between Robin Zero and the other five Robins. Uh, but she's like started attacking the first villain each of them fought, which is an interesting gambit. Yeah, which like the, it takes them a little bit to figure that out because like it's this fat old man that comes through, and then it turns out that yeah, it's the it's the one that Dick first fought. And he's like, yeah, I haven't aged well, have I? <laughs> I've been in jail for 20 years. Uh, and then he gets shot in the back of the head. <laughs> um, As you do, apparently. Yeah, and it's like, well, and so what's it saying? He gets shot in the back of the head, but, like, the way it's angled... Dick, like, is facing him and catches him as he's falling forward. So it's like, so there's no... There's no exit wound there? Like, well, they're just, like, like, shifted ten inches in slightly different planes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like in second. stage combat. Yeah. It's like in stage combat when you want to punch someone in the face and you punch just past their face. Mm-hmm. I guess it's forced perspective or something, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, yeah, the, uh... A mystery is now afoot for all of the Robins uh, to solve. Um, I wonder if this is going to be canon or someone lying or, you know. Yeah, I don't know, like, because canonically Carrie Kelly does exist. But Carrie Kelly was like Damien's math tutor in Batman and Robin at the beginning of the New 52 or something like that. Hmm. Uh, like it's not like she existed as a Robin yeah. in in recent continuity, at least. But I don't, I don't know. It's it's if it's not someone lying, then I feel like it's got to be either some sort of Elseworld or weird seventies Batman story that kind of was never totally taken as canon or yeah, whatever. Which I mean, that's already been done with uh, what I it, it was hilarious when I researched it with uh, in the Court of Owls when one of the Talons is saying like, "Yeah, I'm your younger brother, Bruce," uh, which Snyder did take from this one obscure like yeah, like sixties, seventies yep. comic, 
So that's a possibility too. But also by that point, <clears throat> also by that point though, like we had the Earth Three Batman, who was Thomas Wayne, or the Owl Man, who was Thomas Wayne. Yeah. Oh, so like it also tied Owlman? in there thought, on Earth I thought, Three. I thought Owl Man was the was yeah his was yeah his brother from yeah the earth syndicate one but then there yeah. then there is the well no i think of the flashpoint one which is the flashpoint batman which is thomas wayne yes because the flashpoint joker is martha a plot line i actually dug that's an interesting twist uh my favorite twist is where um uh in the we'll cover it one day on fables and reflections my neil gaiman podcast but uh, whatever happened to the Cave Crusader, mm-hmm. where uh, he's at his own funeral and he's seeing, like, it's like every Batman's funeral. Uh, yeah. And one of the versions, uh, Alfred was the Joker to help, uh, to, to help Bruce's delusions and to give him someone to fight instead of just uh-huh. Bruce Snatchers, uh, which was great. Yeah. That's another idea that Snyder played with a little bit. The, the Batman Last Night on Earth. Mm-hmm. Like three issue that he and Capullo did. Yeah, yeah. I've yet to read that one. That's the the last bit of theirs I haven't read. It's fun. It's really interesting. It was meant to be their like last project together on Batman, mm-hmm. and then Snyder got the Justice League gig. Yeah. So it kind of never got a chance to really stand as epilogue in the way they meant it to. Yeah. But it's a fun read. I mean, I'm sure those two are amazing together. Um, I met them once at Baltimore Comic Con. I have a uh, a um uh, I have a clayface print uh, upstairs signed and framed by Capullo that he had there, which is nice. Very, yeah, which is which that's that's one of my prized possessions. Last Gotham book: Batman versus Bigby, a wolf in Gotham. So okay, last time we talked about this, I hadn't read issue two. I've now read issues two and three. Um, I can definitely say that if you haven't read Fables, you can pick it up, because it is definitely Batman-centered. Um, cool. You get a little bit more, uh, you get a little bit more plot going. Um, the book dealer, who's apparently a villain, uh, steals a bunch of old bookmobiles, plants bombs in them, and then blows up a bunch of libraries and, and, uh, uh, record houses. Oh no! Uh, at the same time, um, so we don't know why he did that yet, but I have a feeling it's going to tie into him do trying to fuck with the fables in some way, because at some point in the fables, much later in the fables, uh, run the original hundred fifty, it's kind of revealed that they know they know their stories. Because they talk about, like, it's really hard to kill a fable. And then also, like, if they're a popular fable, like, uh, like Big B or like Snow White, they'll come back to life. Hmm. Like, you can kill them. It's hard to kill them, but you can kill them. But if they're really popular, they'll come back. Big clap for Tinkerbell if you want her to live. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, you do get, uh, Big B into his wolf form in this issue, which is fun. 
because there's uh he goes in one of the fires and saves people and he's like and he goes in he says all right everybody grab my tail like close your eyes grab my tail and and you know follow me and so they do that because you're not going to question a talking wolf while you're in surrounded by fire (laughs) (laughs) uh so they get out and my favorite line is uh they're telling one of the guys is telling the cop what happened it's like, yeah, the giant wolf over there saved us, told us to grab his tail, and then the cop just yells, Medic! We got... <laughs> He's delirious! Come quick! <laughs> That's amazing. You um, know what I suddenly need to happen in this book? What's up? I need uh, the bar from Tom King's tenure on Batman hmm. to make an appearance. The bar that first appeared in Batman versus Elmer Fudd, oh, and yeah, yeah, then yeah, made yeah. it into canon Porkies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would that would be pretty funny. Um, so yeah, and so then uh, Batman confronts Bigby again in his wolf form, and he uh, so several times now people are saying like surprise that Bigby can talk, right? Of course, <laughs> giant talking wolf. Uh, but then, um. Batman throws uh, knockout gas at Big B, and he's like, you know, telling his Robins, like, I got it, everyone, you know, like, knockout gas. Uh, and then Big B jumps through the knockout gas, and he's like, you think I'd be stupid enough to fall that for the, fall for that twice? <laughs> and then Batman, and this is the last page, Batman finally says, he talks? Like, <laughs> uh, and then Big B pins him, and he says, all right, little superhero, let's try this again. Uh, and then that'll lead into the next issue so it's a lot of fun uh this this issue was especially was a lot of fun um awesome where it's just the uh i think uh bill willingham i think it's how you pronounce his name uh, just kind of knows Mm -hmm. the somewhat absurdity of the premise and so always has fun with it yeah um there's a, a tie-in series, a spin-off series called Jack uh, Jack of Fables, which really, really leans into the comedic tone part of it. Um, and so, like, yeah, I'm getting kind of, especially this issue, I'm, I'm getting those vibes again of just the, this is kind of silly, but we're going to have fun with it and, you know, allow the big bad wolf to be uh, the big bad wolf. Which Awesome. Which they do, they do accidentally call him that. But it's like, yeah, all right, we're going after the big bad wolf now. It's like, yes, <laughs> you are. You are going after the big bad wolf. <laughs> uh, we should mention, mention it is penciled by Brian Level, with inks by Jay Leaston, colors by Lee Laffridge, and letters by Steve Wands. On to Green Lantern? Yes, which I was not able to catch up on myself. Um, I'm a couple of issues behind. Uh, but I really like the first four that I've read. I also got caught up on this this week. I had to read the last three issues to get caught up. Boy, howdy, this book is going some places I did not expect. Um, are you up to the point where one of the new gods has shown up? I don't. I don't think so. Which one? Uh oh, shoot! What's his name? It's not one I know super well. He's the god of of travel the god of of uh journeys okay i was about to say makari but that's eternals <laughs> yeah that's lonar okay uh lonar from new genesis who is 
there to take John back to the earliest days of the universe when the Guardians were still, like, just dudes. Uh-huh. Before they were short and big-headed. Uh-huh. When they first discovered the Fourth World and the New Gods and decided they were a threat to cosmic order and wanted to kill them all. The Guardians decided that the new gods were threats. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's very like Ghost of Christmas Past, except John does get involved and does de-escalate the situation, and now he has what looks very much like uh the powers of a god. Fair enough. When he gets back to the present. Hasn't he restarted the universe once? Well, and that's the thing. This feels like it's... There was definitely a period of time, and they they acknowledge this in, like, issue two of this series, where John basically did have the powers of a god. He was a guardian. And I want to say that it was something very like, and maybe I'm confusing this with Heroes Reborn, but very much like there was a universe that existed inside of him or something. Mm-hmm. But I may I may have that mixed up. I do not know my my silver and bronze and golden age green lantern history very well if i'm being honest uh but this is pulling like green lantern into the very like core foundational cosmological elements of the universe there was a reference early in the series to magic and having stolen power from gym world to make the power battery and there are design elements in that trip back to fourth world that remind me of some of the design elements of gym world yeah and definitely like gods and magic get invoked uh at one point lunar mentions that the the guardians of oa could have become the lords of order who like we've seen the lords of order and chaos like featured heavily in justice league dark over the last couple of years yeah it's a very surprising take on green lantern but one i really dig because i feel like one in general space cop space military is not my favorite thing especially when it leans into space military which i feel like the john stories usually do well yeah because i mean he was a marine on earth yeah but to like it's 2021. Getting some distance between Green Lanterns and Space Cops is probably a good thing. Well, the... I mean, I don't think there's inherently wrong with that idea, because, like, space probably would have some form of cops, but, you know, and like that. Um, well, I will say, you know, definitely, fuck the police. I I haven't gotten to the point that some other people have where it's like they don't even like sympathizing with cop characters. Yeah. Um I think I think for me it's if without changing the premise, uh-huh. not acknowledging the contemporary baggage would feel intentional. Yeah. And acknowledging the contemporary baggage would I think require a very deft touch. Fair. So maybe it's best just to move away from that because I like story as metaphor, but I also think that there are times when fantasy and sci-fi story as metaphor can stand in the way of talking about important issues. Yeah. 
I mean, definitely also one thing you could do, um, which they kind of did, uh, which Grant Morrison kind of did at one point during their Green Lantern run, I think, um, where, how to just make it like an Old West thing, like space mm-hmm. Old West, because like it is this, like they're trying to bring, they're trying to bring law and order to, you know, whatever frontier world that is yeah. uh very hard to get to unless you have you know a glowing green ring <laughs> that's uh, that's fair yeah so you could retool it without totally yeah it's no but i would agree yeah you it probably needs to be retooled in some fashion well and i'll say too like i will admit the green lantern stuff i tend to have the the biggest soft spots soft spot for and there's a good example of this in the first season of Morrison's run. But the stuff that gets weird. Mm. Yeah. Like the issue where Hal goes, I think it's into a dying power battery and everything yeah, is. Yeah, the Emerald Sands issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Like that kind of reality bending. Like if you can make anything, I feel like dealing with problems that are about reality meaning less or having a less defined shape becomes a much more interesting place to play. Now that said, Joe Mullane, whom I adore, made a Pokemon in one of the issues that I read this week. (laughs) And that made me personally very happy. And then I laughed even harder, which he's like, a lot of people like animate. Don't laugh. Talking to, uh, to Simon, who was about to give her shit for making anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have really been digging Green Lantern, and, like, I'm consistently surprised by it, and I think it does a lot of unexpected things. Hmm. And I'm really, really happy with it. Like, it was one of the books going into Infinite Frontier that I'm like, I don't totally know what to expect here. There were some cool ideas in Future State that I think we're getting closer to seeing catch up because we've started to see a lot of future state ideas show up in in the mainline books lately but like those ideas were kind of what kept me really hooked for it and i think that that jeffrey thorne who writes this uh has really iterated on those well so far and introduced other new ideas that are a lot of fun Uh, i should also say art for the latest issues by chris cross and marco santucci uh with juan castro helping on inks for some of those pages colors are by michael atia and letters are by rob lee justice league number 69 the biggest score ever part one written by brian michael bindus pencils by phil hester inks by eric gapster colors by hi-fi and letters by josh reed between the art team and who the bad guys of this arc are Mm -hmm. this has some very justice league animated series vibes and I am so here for that. Yeah. It uh Yeah, no, he's he's very uh yeah, Bendis does very good quips in team settings. Like I almost forgot how quippy he he gets with uh like he did it a bunch of course in Ultimate Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, he's like he's doing it in this too, where um especially with this one, because they're like it's being it's being clear that like there's like about ten layers of uh of red herrings that that mm-hmm. they've been thrown. So they're just digging through all of these red herrings, like all these distractions. The investigation montage is 
It's like two pages of a panel each, three pages of a panel each, just chasing all these red herring, red herrings down. Yeah. It's so good. It's so much fun. Yeah. I uh, I also really liked what started all of that. So they catch one of the um, <laughs> they catch one of the fake uh uh not Deathstrokes. I almost said Deadpool because I have a Deadpool figure in front of me. Uh, <laughs> um yeah uh fake I think they call them fake strokes. They call them fake strokes. Yeah yeah. Uh, so anyway, you have uh Hippolyta menacingly go like menacingly like go forward to him uh to the one of the fake strokes and uh uh ollie uh green arrow just saying like look she has a special rope you're going to tell us what we want to know like (laughs) you'll resist for very little time uh and so yeah that she yeah wraps him up with the with the rope and that's what sends him on the goose chase um, yeah, like sends him to this IT firm that's like wrote this algorithm, and it's like, yeah, we just got paid to write this algorithm, and then like got sent to this producer. It's like, yeah, like I'm just like I'm not exactly sure how even the producer was supposed to be involved, but he was the money guy. Yeah, yeah, he was the money guy, but then he doesn't know where the money came from, or like, uh, so yeah, just this this big goose chase, uh, and then also. The weirdest part for me for this issue, Ollie gets shit for starting Checkmate uh, from the other Justice League members. And he's just like, look, like, Batman's on five teams. I don't know why y'all are giving me shit for being on two. And I'm funding both. Like, Superman literally has a team of villains working for him right now. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's a yeah. It's a it's a weird one. Um, I mean, yeah. I guess not a lot happens in this issue. Um, just kind of set up for the next arc of like, whoever is behind what's going on, uh, knows how to cover themselves very well. The Royal Flush Gang, it seems. Yeah. Well, yeah. So th- that's where the chase ends, and they're just all like, "No, this is not." <laughs> <laughs> This is not it. Like, I know this is where it leads, but, like, no. This is- Does not compute. Yeah, exactly. We also have the next chapter, I think maybe penultimate chapter, of Rom V's Justice League Dark Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one called A Night Reborn, with pencils by Sumit Kumar, inks by Sumit Kumar and Jose Marsan Jr., colors by Romulo Fayardo Jr., and letters by Rob Lee. Yeah, this one is, a. Uh... Yeah, this one's getting interesting. I kind of wish it was a full book again. Like, Justice League Dark was a full book again, instead of just a backup. Yeah, it... I've been digging it in this 10-page format, and I think Rom V knows how to get the most out of 10 10 pages. Mm -hmm. But especially knowing its ending, and feeling like maybe he is not... Maybe he is not getting... It was his choice to leave. It was his choice to leave because he's very busy and he's got a bunch of creator-owned stuff that's taken Mm. off. But maybe it's not running as long as he'd originally planned. Yeah. Or at least his time on... Because he and Bendis talked when it was announced that both of these stories were going into one book. Talked about, like, how they'd coordinated together to eventually get to this point where, like, it wouldn't just be an A story and a B story, but things would overlap and connect and there would be issues where like each team was doing something and everything was interwoven and they just 
put the pages in where they fit. Kind of like, kind of like we see with Rom V and Al Ewing and Venom. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it never really reached that point, and that makes me think maybe the plans were longer than than the run will wind up being. Yeah. That said, though, I dig it. Like. I am sad we're not getting more of it is where all of that comes from. Yeah, no, exactly. It's uh it's always interesting to see evil Merlin who gets his arm yeah. who gets his arm chopped off in this in this issue, but then like grows it back with this black goop uh <laughs> and then yeah, then summons uh the god king of Atlantis. Um Arian. Yeah, Arian to be his sapphire knight, which I'm not sure whatever that reference is to. I'm not either, actually. I know, like, a lot of the Arthurian knights had colors attached to them, mm. but I'm not familiar with one being the Sapphire Knight. Yeah. I finally saw the Green Knight recently. I still haven't. How was it? It was a, it was a hell of a trip. Uh, it's, it's funny. It's, it, even, in the, even though you know it's supposed to be Arthur and um, Morgan Le Fay, and they'd never say their names they only like they never say their names and even in the credits it's just the king the queen uh mother because morgan the fae is uh uh is the is wow i'm mordred's no 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 he is mordred's she is mordred's mother but then also um even in the original authorian legend she is uh gaywin's mother oh like the main character of the story's mother. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh which it's not uh what I loved in the very it, it's it changes in this uh it the interpretation changes in the movie. But I do love in the original poem which I read last semester for school. Um in the original poem Morgan Le Fay does the whole green knight thing with getting his head chopped off and all of that. Just does that to to fuck with Guinevere. And like what <laughs> <laughs> she's like crossing her fingers, like the shock will like make her faint and possibly die of, of fainting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's 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 solely just to screw with Guinevere. <laughs> that sounds right. Like just absolute pettiness. Yeah, yeah. Here for it, yeah. but supernatural because like you you know this green giant comes in and gets his head cut off and. The- runs away with it yeah. green giant <laughs> we have lost the plot we, uh, we have. justice league dark good merlin evil yes zatanna having a bad day quite being possessed by the upside down man yeah oh god that art of like her black eyes and then like her mouth being the upside uh-huh. down man's mouth is ooh. Yeah. How about the nice house on... Oh, you didn't get to the nice house on the lake. That's right. I did. I'll talk about the nice house on the lake, yeah. number six. Uh, written by James Tynan IV, art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Androld Design. The thing I love the most about this book is how it kind of changes each issue what kind of book it is. It's all, like, kind of existential horror thriller, but the flavor that takes on changes issue to issue. Yeah depending on, like, who's the character we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not going to say who this one focuses on, in case anyone's, like, waiting for a trade. It's a pretty big spoiler. But it focuses on an unexpected character and gives a lot of history and a lot of backstory. And 
a very different look into what's going on. Um, and then kind of, uh, gives you hope and maybe rips it away again. <laughs> gotta, gotta love that. Um, I will say I'm reading, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because it did just come out, uh, the Something is Killing the Children 15 issue hardback, uh, yes. just came out. So I've been reading, I've been reading that, um, my copy is just out of arm's length. I uh or arm's reach. I, I already ordered my uh slaughter mask. I will be casually cosplaying Erica Slaughter. Yes. <laughs> How perfect is that book? It's 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 really fun. I was talking to uh a friend of mine and um uh told her about the just gut-wrenching moment in one of the issues in like six or seven where it's like the grandfather of one of the kids that uh whose body's been found Mm -hmm. and he's of course at a bar drinking in sorrow as you do uh in that situation um but he has this just utterly gut-wrenching line where he's crying and he says like oh like people say you oh think you know you think to the baby of like holding the baby and changing their diapers and everything, but he said no. He said what I'm thinking of is the moments I saw the man he should have become, mm-hmm. um, and just what a what a what a gut punch. Like it's it's a fun it's a fun uh it, on one hand it's a fun monster hunting secret uh secret organization book, but on the other hand it, it doesn't shy away of children are getting killed like yeah yeah i i think every now and then about how it was originally pitched and sold and announced as a five issue miniseries and that's all tied and planned to do with it Mm -hmm. and then it sold so well that he was like well i can tell more stories in this world yeah they have a spinoff uh the house of slaughter that's just starting yep um yeah. Issue number two out this week. I need to get those. I need to because yeah, so good, so pulses. good. I'm not normally a big prequel person mm-hmm. because I think it's hard for prequels to actually affect the reader's view of the world and to to enrich a world because usually you know so much about what has happened and how the world works by that point. But the fact that the main book that something is killing the children plays its hands so close to its vest in terms of like what is the order how do they work who are they what are the rules of this world how do these monsters work where do they come from there are so many questions that like one having a book that kind of deals with the lore makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. but two also making it a prequel and giving aaron more story time and uh making it gay also Add some layers there. I I I feel like I feel like it should be said probably making it more gay because like the arms that they give Erica when she like takes her jacket off to fight monsters and like she's just wearing a white tank top. Okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, I I say this all the time with Batman and like Tynan's skill at co-creating characters, mm. but Erica Slaughter is number one with a bullet. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I I did. Pretty much immediately love her. Uh, her design is great. Just these big eyes, but then these big 
black circles around her eyes and the uh the swoop the blonde swoop over one of her eyes just yep. amazing and like yeah like when she fights she's fighting in a white tank top but then most of the time she's wearing this uh like kind of this green army jacket with like a high collar mm-hmm. uh that goes around her that goes around her face yeah just amazing character design work but also just uh also one thing i connect with her with is um there's a there's a moment in one of the issues where um she just killed a monster and she's sitting down she just goes shit because like she's like she's getting a call or something and she just goes shit uh and the the kid next to her is like that's a bad word and then she looks at the kid it's like i know it's a fucking bad word <laughs> <laughs> yep and that's the nice house on the lake no, <laughs> well you were talking about, you were talking about waiting for trade and this this uh, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful trade too it is worth the money um yeah it's uh this really cool embossed like i didn't even realize it the co- the front cover has the uh the teeth imprinted on it it's because it's not colored mm. but it's imprinted so where you can you can feel the uh the teeth logo from yeah. the mask. Yeah. Uh yeah, there's not actually a whole lot for me to say about Nice House without spoiling pretty big things. So I'm not gonna. Nubia and the Amazons number two, written by Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala, with pencils by Aletha Martinez, inks by Mark Morales and Aletha Martinez, colors by Emilio Lopez and Alan Pasalacqua, and letters by Becca Carey. So being uh an American woman. I of course have loved Wonder Woman, and so, or at least as an idea, for like most of my life, right? But I've never yeah. really read super much of her comics, so I've really liked uh, these two issues of Nubia to kind of dig into the lore. Like I didn't, I had never heard of the Well of Souls, um, and the fact that like, yeah, the Amazons are women from Earth who get killed and then their souls then go into the well of souls and if they're it's strong enough then they reappear as an amazon yeah they just emerge with it implies any mem without any memory of their prior lives yeah but like although maybe, maybe some of them are starting to remember yeah yeah maybe maybe not because like what if so the purpose of this book is the well of souls has been closed since Nubia, who is now queen, since she emerged from the Well of Souls, and mm-hmm. it's been a it's been hundreds of years since uh, she came out, and so like there's been no new Amazons in that amount of time. Um, as such, something happens. It appear it um, opens up again. And so then, uh, like, what, four or five new Amazons pop out? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they do their, their ritual of welcoming them, in, welcoming them into the, to the mascara and finding their place and all this different stuff. But one of them, like, Nubia and, uh, I forget her, her name, um, but what are the new Amazons? Was it Andromeda? Yes, Andromeda. So Nubia and Andromeda kind of both give each other side eye, like, I know you. But it's like, but of course, neither of them can remember. Um, 
Yeah. But in this issue, it's implied that, like, Nubia... Like, yeah, like, it, you see maybe some flashbacks with her and Nubia while they were still on Earth. Or still in man's world, I should say, because it's still technically Earth. But In their prior lives. Yeah, yeah. Which also, like, I'm wondering, like, I guess the Well of Souls is is, like, out of time or something. Because they're wearing modern clothing in uh in the flashbacks. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. The only thing, because like you, I haven't I haven't read a lot of older Wonder Woman. Um, there is a reference though. I think it's in one of these issues, although it could have been in the Young Diana backup. Yeah. To. The well is kind of full of souls, and some of them may never come out, some of them may take longer to rise out, and some, I guess, may may come out later than others that came in at the same time. So, I don't know if maybe, maybe it just took Andromeda that much longer, but definitely, like, the clothes were not period to 200 years ago. Yeah. So, I think, I, I think you must be right that it doesn't exist necessarily in terms of, like, Time is still moving forward, just at different rates, but, like, it can spit someone out at any point in history. Yeah, because Nubia's been around for several hundred years, but then this... She's been on Themyscira for several hundred years, but then you see this flashback with her in it, in, like, modern-ish clothing. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, definitely interesting. Oh, and then that's another thing that, like... So because... So, like, bad things are starting to brew. Medusa is on the loose, kind of, sort of. Possessing different Amazons and hopping body to body to get close to to Nubia. Yeah, and then, like... So she can get her head back. Yeah, yeah, she's looking for her head. And then, like, when she leaves a body, that's when it turns to stone. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, so things are starting to go south. And, like, there's already, like, rumors brewing among the Amazons. And then some of them are kind of, like, already kind of blaming Nubia. Because they're like, wait, well, she was the last one out before it closed. It's now opening back up again, and, like, shit's going south. And, like, because they're not, nobody is 100% sure how the wells work, how the well works. Even the caretaker of souls doesn't know how it works. Yeah. Well, and Cleo has been having visions of the fall of the mascara, and, like, the thing that kicks it off is the well of souls reopening. Yeah. So it's, uh... Which we get some of that vision here as well, um, where Diana is crying blood at one point. So, yeah, fun times are coming for the Amazons. Yeah, I imagine some of this will also feed into Trial of the Amazons. That feels probable to me. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Especially yeah. with like the fracturing of all the Amazons, because there's like what three at this point. Yep. So, Themyscira, Banamigdal, and then the Amazonian tribe. Which I need to catch up on Wonder Girl. Um, yeah. I have that uh, in my stack. It's very good, and it's gorgeous. It is. Oh, yeah. No, issue one blew me away with the art. How about Wonder Woman Evolution number one? Written by Stephanie Phillips, pencils by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Adriano De Benedetto, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters... By Tom Napolitano. Now, this is, uh, isn't this part of the, like, 80th anniversary? Like, there's, like, several books that are, like, kind of concentrating just on the general spirit of Wonder Woman because of the 80th celebration issue. Yeah, I, 
I think to some degree that's a little bit coincidence in timing. Like I know the the Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh is it Phil Jimenez on art? Um the the Amazon Historia, Historia book. Yeah. I know that one was actually when they announced Black Label, announced with Black Label, and it's kind of been percolating ever since. And that's been if you've seen like any of the four years, hasn't it? Yeah. If you've seen any of the preview pages, though, you'll understand why, because the level of detail in this book is absolutely astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it kind of gives me, kind of gives me, um, somewhat Alex Ross vibes in terms of the level of detail. And there's a reason he only does covers now, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, like J.H. Williams too, right? Like that that kind somewhere between Alex Ross and J.H. Williams is kind of where I think of it. Yeah. Because you've got some really like intricate layout work that is very different than I think it it doesn't. That's neither here nor there. But like that one I think they happened to announce for now more coincidentally than not. Wonder Woman Evolution, I feel like kind of kind of the same thing, like we're at the 80th. It was announced with all those other announcements. At the same time, I'm guessing that it was probably something that they've had planned just because they wanted to do another book when Wonder Woman stopped hopping around the afterlife. <laughs> yeah. Like, it it feels, and I, I guess the reason I make this distinction is it feels very earnestly like DC is trying to give Wonder Woman the same amount of space in the line that they do, if not Batman, at least Superman. Yeah. Like, really treating her like an equal member of the Trinity. Yeah, because, like, they keep trying to, like, every once in a while an executive keeps trying to make Hal Jordan the third of the Trinity. And it's like, no. <laughs> Not even the most interesting Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, yeah, like, I remember that. That was a big thing with New 52. Because, uh, they, because with, with that reboot, they pushed, like, okay, Hal is the main Green Lantern. And Green Lantern is the third of the Trinity, and they're, uh, of course, the internet collectively went no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I still want, I still want like a Green Lantern comedy TV show though. Yeah. Uh, starring, have you watched Psych? Yes. Starring James Rodé Rodriguez and Dulé Hill as Kyle Rayner and John Stewart, <laughs> respectively. Oh God, that that's perfect casting perfect guess yeah i had that epiphany a few weeks ago and it made me very happy um so yeah i think i think this is part of giving her that space and giving her more to do but also like starting out it has a little bit of an elseworlds vibe yeah or at least it's not necessarily clear where in time this is happening which is fine um this is the first issue of an eight issue miniseries and most of this issue is actually, like, setting the stage for what comes next. What will be the, the bulk of this series. We get a lot of, of Diana and Clark just talking, which I dig. Yeah. As one of the, I guess, 12 people who really enjoyed the book in the New 52 where they were a couple. Like, it's nice to get to see them have time together. I don't like the idea on its... I don't like the idea, uh, dislike the idea wholly, at least in terms of, like, they're both kind of immortal. So, like, yeah, in the future, in the far future, I'd like that idea more compared to, I still want what the uh, animated series promises, which is uh, 
Bruce and Diana. I do, I do prefer that. Um, and I don't think like I don't think I would describe my stance towards Superman and Wonder Woman as I ship it long term. But I think in the context of the New 52, where Lois and Clark weren't a thing, and Lois was engaged to someone else, and Clark was struggling with, like, who am I, what is my role in the world, I get why he and Wonder Woman would at least get involved with each other and yeah. try it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's that's another thing, is, is the, yeah, you may, like, have feelings that way, but then you try it, and it's like, yeah, this is not gonna be long term. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we still can't be close. Like, they've got a very, very similar sort of shared experience in a way of not being from this world, of having all this power, of having all these expectations. Like, it it makes sense at a certain level. Yeah. But neither here nor there. That's not what this book really gets to be about. Yeah. It's just nice to see their friendship. Yeah, I mean, because, like, that's, like, the... That's one thing I really liked about um, Wonder Woman. The first Wonder Woman was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like those quieter moments of her, uh, or even in the Snyder Cut when um, she uh, like talks to that little girl. Like some people were like shitting on that moment a little bit in the Snyder Cut where she's uh, where Diana sl- absolutely slaughters uh, the terrorists, um, mm-hmm. and then immediately like then goes to the little girl, and it's like, you could be anything you want to be. Um, and then everybody was just like, you just killed, like, ten men. And it's like, yeah, she did, but they were terrorists about to kill this little girl. Yeah. <laughs> like You get you get a little bit of that, obviously, without the killing, uh, in the, the first half of this, where it's Diana dealing with Silver Swan, and uh, you've got the moment with, with her and the kid at the end, but also Silver Swan being like, yeah, I am crashing this event because there are children here and I know how much she likes children. Mm-hmm. She will come and protect you. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like because it reminded me of in in Wonder Woman 1984, the little bit in the mall. Like yeah. that moment I really liked in that movie. Yeah, it's yeah, like she like she is a warrior, but like that's she she doesn't just fight. She is fighting for something. And like yeah. And girlhood is part of what she's fighting, right? Like, yeah. So it would that would make sense so that she would that yeah that she would have that deeper connection to the children. How about Superman, Son of Kal El, number five, written by Tom Taylor, art by John Timms, colors by Hi Fi, letters by Dave Sharp. Uh, I I do like that this issue with with John gets hit. With essentially solar cocaine. <laughs> He's just like, I'm going to save everyone! Little bit of a snow flare, if you will. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah, is that I found hilarious. But then just, yeah, he then just burns out uh, pretty much literally, where just like the high, like when he comes down off of the high and he's pushed himself too much. He just crashes for like nine hours at his uh, now boyfriend's house. Where he wakes up and they smooch. And it's like, hey, do you have a nice nap? <laughs> it reminded me. I, it's just, it's just coincidence. I'm sure. Um, but like that scene in Nightwing where Nightwing like passes out on his sofa and then wakes up later and Babs is wearing the shirt with like Batman slapping him across <laughs> the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
It's one of one of like, the greatest background gags Tom Taylor's ever written. <laughs> and especially because it's a book about him having brain trauma. <laughs> yeah. He did yeah, yeah, he yeah. And that yeah, in that particular era, yeah, he had just gotten over getting shot in the head. <laughs> but like having having John wake up on Jay's sofa made me made me kind of think about yeah. Reminded me of that. I really like this idea of, of Jay being literally untouchable and therefore never in danger and therefore being the one person John never has to save. Yeah, yeah cause uh what was it I think it was last issue that uh the Kent farmhouse blew up. Which I guess mm-hmm. is also a, a future state implication because they rebuild it in a different spot. And in future state, they're like, no, it's over. It's actually over here. Yeah. Um, or was over here because it's, you know, now leveled. I'm guessing from this incident. Uh, <laughs> Probably. Um, where, yeah, he's like, his super speed kicks in. So he just sees uh, the woman that he was trying to help uh, in like issue one or two. Um, falling through the roof, and he's like, so he's like, okay, this entire house is falling apart, so, like, I gotta grab my grandparents, and he's like, oh, shit, I don't have a third arm, I have to leave Jay, but then he just sees the wood just starting to go through Jay, and he's like, all right, I'm gonna put a pin in that, but he's good for now, so, like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, all right, I'm gonna gonna ask him about that later, because he is clearly fine. So, like, I'm just going to concentrate on my grandparents. Uh, also, having Wink in the Airy in this run makes me very happy. Yeah, that was, uh... I did, like, their, I did like their meeting where John is holding Jay, and, yeah, and then Airy was, was like, Oh, well, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad to finally meet someone that also has to have the identity of being held in the air. <laughs> uh, it's just a fun book. Yeah. It's such a fun book. It is, yeah, because like he, he very, yeah, he very much like gets, especially with it being John. So it's not, it's not Clark, and you know, eighty years of stories. He is definitely making, um, John his own, his own version of Superman. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so like he gets with this solar, like you said, it's on this issue he gets hit. He goes to confront uh Dick Henry Bendix. Yeah, the the dictator. And it's like and of course he's evil like aha and hits him with this uh power booster which like makes his powers go crazy. So instead of like going off into space and burning them off or something, he just uses this boost to just fly around the world. At one point like he uh he takes a bridge full of ambulances and just lifts it and <laughs> uh places it someplace else and apparently leaves it there because when he wakes up he's like oh i left a bridge on the freeway <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go take care of that uh but yeah so the fact that like he and he talks about like what was really touching is he talks about like how hard he's trying to rein in his powers but he's also like I said, using this boost to do more than he has been able to before. So he's, yeah, just flying all over the world at once and saving people. Like this little girl he saves and is giving her a ride. And uh, yeah, it's 
it's just a very sweet book like he like tom taylor really gets superman yeah he's he's been teasing a superman nightwing crossover soon yeah cannot wait yeah that'll that'll be really good over at marvel the Amazing Spider-Man number 78, Point Beyonce. Written by Jed McKay, art by Eleonora Carlini, colors by Federico Blay, and letters by Joe Caramagna. I can't see that point in B-E-Y without thinking of Beyonce. Okay, I was about to say, is that, is that really what it's supposed to be? Like what? It... No, it's, it's short for Beyond, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, I, I want a Daughters of the Dragon book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right now, like yesterday, give us one yesterday. Yeah. With this, with this same team, like there's already three of them. Just like they can write another book together. Yeah. Uh, if we don't get a Daughters of the Dragon spinoff out of this, I, I am, I am rioting. I will riot in the streets. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Daughters of the Dragon go into the uh. <laughs> This simulation that they'd originally written to test Ben, to test Ben, which is a uh, Avengers haunted house, uh, but they end up going to it instead uh, and have to yeah. Fight they their way they out. go to fight this like stray this monster fueled by this strange energy source and try to throw him in a containment field that binds with his energy matrix and releases this simulation and traps them in it. Mm. Uh, which and like. You know, you know, you know, these jerks at Beyond wanted that to happen. Yeah, it's, the- <laughs> it, well, it's, I don't know if they wanted it to happen, but I think they're legit, like, when they say, I'm sorry, you have an experimental technology against an unknown energy, like, yeah, sure, this happened, like, we had no clue, which, like, I, it's I right there with, them. I believe them on that, they didn't, they, that's fair, it, it is right there with, what if we didn't cure Spider-Man of his <laughs> vampire bite, though? What if, what if, yeah, yeah, yeah. could we get Spider-Vampire? Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, they, they see opportunities in, like, uh, you know, like a, like a kid with a matchbook, and <laughs> it's like, I wonder what would happen if I did this. <laughs> um, but what I really like is, of course, like, they're really fun team, um, they end with lying their asses off to beyond. Because they're like, so, you, so you're so you telling me you rummaged through this thing's corpse and didn't find its power source. And they're like, yeah. And we're like, you can see us covered in the blood. Like, this, very gross. Like, you told us we were going to, you know, priority was saving people. That's what we did. Fuck you. But they did find the power source and gave it to Monica. Yes. And that was the last page was that... uh reveal that they're yeah the, that monica yeah like monica's like pulling the strings fighting against uh beyond which if this if again like spin off daughters of the dragon spin off a new next wave book mm-hmm. make alex very happy uh i also just like i guess because it is a corporation she has to do what she's doing in terms of gathering all this information but like Monica Rambeau was like on tier with Thor in terms of powers. <laughs> like she could just destroy everything. <laughs> yeah, the difference is Monica does not get nearly enough respect. Yeah, um, hopefully that'll change with Marvels coming out. Yeah, did you ever read Al Ewing's Ultimates book, Ultimates and Ultimates Two? It was not in the oh, Ultimate it- Universe line. It was after Secret Wars. Oh, no, 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 I didn't. 
Oh, you should check them out. They're a lot of fun. Uh, Monica is on the team. So is Blue Marvel. And it's really cool, high-concept, cosmological sci-fi. Yeah. The first arc is the team being like, we're going to be more proactive, and we're going to be proactive against cosmic threats. Threat number one, we're going to make Galactus the life bringer instead of what he's doing now. Yeah. And then they do. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> well, I don't know if whoops, Adam. Did it turn out good? No whoops. It turned out great. It worked just fine until someone came along and... Undid it. Did a factory reset on Galactus. Whoops. Listen, all you need to yeah. do is just send Squirrel Girl in there, and it's good. <laughs> Truth. Uh, Dark Ages number three. A problem we haven't thrown Squirrel Girl at yet. Yeah. Written by Tom Taylor, with art by Iban Coelho, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Joe Sabino. Otherwise called, Sue Storm cannot get a break. No. Uh, Johnny horribly dies in front of her. Like, she has to contain it so he doesn't burn away all of her other friends. Yeah, yeah he gets stabbed in the chest by a mind-controlled Pietro. <laughs> and then explodes. I stand by... Kilgrave remains just the most terrifying person in the Marvel universe. Oh, oh, absolutely. Like, it's very much, uh... I mean, yeah, because I feel like he's only really been, even in mainstream comics, like... Because I, I didn't read... Well, I read Alias. Um, Yeah, he hasn't really been using mainstream Marvel comics. And, like, the first season of Jessica Jones was extremely popular. So, like, I'm surprised he hasn't been used more since then. Yeah. Um. He showed up some in, I think it was Charles Soule's run of Daredevil. Yeah. And then Kelly Thompson did a Jessica Jones book that was like a comicsology first mm -hmm. that too few people have read that was incredible yeah. that he and his family were used in. Yeah. But um, I would definitely recommend that. Other characters who Kelly Thompson writes in that, Emma Frost, and, uh, oh shoot, uh, Monster Hunter. She's awesome. She was also on the Next Wave roster. British. Snarky. Captain Britain? Nope. Um. Of course there's like five of those. Bloodstone. Elsa Bloodstone. Oh. Um, so in this, so right now, Apocalypse slash Purple Man have under their control. As of last issue, Tony Stark, Reed Richards, who apparently Sue thought was dead for three years. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, Tony Reed, Riri Williams is mentioned. Just like mm -hmm. most, like 90% of the big brains, he is nabbed. Yeah. Otto Octavius. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Here's my big fear. Mm -hmm. What if Reed's not being mind-controlled? What if Reed is just trying to undo things and is willingly working with Apocalypse? That's a possibility, but then, like... I, like, like, Big I the Maker vibes at that point? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a possibility, but I don't think he would have, like, then been a fan of P being sending Pietro to then go, you know, kill Johnny. Like... Unless he doesn't know. Yeah, that is, I mean, yeah, if... I don't think Apollo's be like, hey, Reed, 
you cool with me killing your brother-in-law, right? No, I don't think that. But my guess is maybe Reed doesn't know about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sending him. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, all's we know, all's we know right now is that they, is that they kidnapped, they definitely kidnapped Tony. Yeah. Um, and Apocalypse's goal is to wake up that, was it a celestial? Not exactly, but that kind of vibe. Yeah. To wake that back up and then take its power. And that's Apocalypse's goal. Yeah. Uh, so that's Because Apocalypse streams big. Yeah. He's like, I've never felt such power. It shall be mine. Speaking of... Uh, Apocalypse. Conquering megalomani- megalomaniacs who have a thing for ancient Egypt. Yes. King the Conqueror number four. Written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Art by Carlos Magno. Colors by Espen Grundentieren. And letters by Joe Caramagna. So, I marathoned all four issues this evening. Two hours ago. Uh, definitely an interesting book of how trying to not become Kang, he then makes himself Kang. It's it's very much like ancient Greek tragedy, right? Yeah. The whole avoiding a prophecy is what causes the prophecy every time. Yeah problem yeah exactly uh i do also kind of like the twist that most of the um that most of the uh, future even more future kings he meets um he doesn't uh they don't remember him or like doing what he's doing yeah and in this issue he kills one of them like he does flat out kill uh immortus right no it was kang no, he he did, oh, okay. he did also kill Immortus. Yeah, he, yeah, he he talks about killing yeah, Immortus. Yeah, but that's a little bit later in his timeline. But yeah, he does kill um, the Kang right after the uh, Avengers fight. He mm, sneak, yeah, right. he sneaks onto the ship, and he's like, uh, "Fuck you, me, Dad," <laughs> and then just blasts him uh, after a after a fight with Doctor Doom. Uh, that eventually goes Kang's way, where young Kang is like, hey, older me, like, let's uh, team up against Doom, and like, so we both survive this, and uh, then I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you what even even more future us taught me. And he's like, okay, cool. Uh, It's also, it's also some great Doom, because you get the whole I would do the customary villain monologue here, except neither of you have met me yet. You have caused me a lot of consternation in my time. Yeah. But you haven't done it yet in your time. I am nipping this in the bud. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Just essentially, fuck y'all both. I know you don't know what that means yet, but on principle still. All hope lies in doom. Yep. Uh, I also kind of... So he meet... So also, like, throughout the series, he's been meeting his love or he thinks he, Ravona yeah he thinks he's been meeting Ravona over and over again um which I think that just may be time travel screwing with his mind because he talks about like I've seen her eyes before and like the way the art is drawn it's like no these are three different women that are just one of them doesn't even have the same color yeah, eyes yeah, yeah yeah the final one has blue eyes the other one do have like this golden brown um yeah, so it's just kind of like, I think you're more with the love, I think you're more in love with the idea of her, 
more than anything yeah. else, my dude. I do wonder how much that how much of that is though, like different versions of her over time being drawn inconsistently and trying to trying to acknowledge that. Yeah. Cause the eye color thing feels like just a continuity error that a book like this would also want to, you know, nod and wink at. Yeah. Yeah, it's also a possibility. Um but yeah, it's just uh yeah, it's like you said, very Greek tragedy. Um but then I guess this is going to be the change in Kang's origin because at the end of this issue, because this is the penultimate issue, Renona dies again. He wasn't able to stop it. Um, and, but then he does, like, he's doing some wacky thing where he says, I know why I've seen you throughout time and, like, why you rippled through time. I am the cause of that ripple. And he's like, he's going to do something to break time. Or he's going to invent zombies. There is, is that possibility. What if it's just, what if it's just that one episode of Doctor Who where we learn why Clara is everywhere? <laughs> Where's, where he just shoves him, shoves her into his own timeline. And so she'll yeah. fracture into, into a million pieces. Speaking of fracturing... Moon Knight number five. That's a terrible segue. Written by Jed McKay. Art by Alessandra Capuccio. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. And letters by Corey Pettit. Uh, Internet internet version of Moon Knight would have very appreciated that pun, though. I mean, frankly, like, everything in his life is falling apart. It still fits. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love Frank... I love superheroes and therapy, not in a Tom King kind of way, but in a Jed McKay and Al Ewing kind of way. Yeah, where they where they actually go to therapy. Yeah, the 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 only I haven't I, I haven't read Heroes in Crisis, so I can't comment too much on it. I just know that it. Oh, I can. I just know that it ends up Wally has a psychotic break and somehow kills everyone. But then they retconned it where it wasn't him. Yes, it was. It was a necessary retcon. I've I've got a lot of feelings about Heroes in Crisis, but I stay positive on this podcast. Yeah. So I'll tell you later. Yeah. Um Moon Knight's therapist wants an answer to why does he keep dodging questions? Why is he so sad? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, why is she, like, she doesn't even ask him that. She says, Why aren't you happy? Yeah. She doesn't even say, Why are you sad? Why aren't you happy? And like the answer we get here is really great. Mm. Um, and it feels very much in line with the, the Max Bemis run Hmm. that was a little short-lived. I don't know why it was cut short, but it was, uh, like very much feels like it's a part of, of that and the Lemire run that came before in a way that I feel like Moon Knight comics don't always get to be like, they tend to, there's a period of time where it's just. Okay, well, we're going to do a new Moon Knight book. He's angry and hyper-violent and on the streets. And maybe he's still those things to some degree here, but there's so much more, like, the human part of him that grounds this that I really do. Yeah, no. He cares about the people he saves. Exactly. Yeah, because he... he, Because, like, uh, was it this issue? or the? I, I read two or three issues at once with this one, but to catch up. But he talks to his assistant, who's a vampire. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new vampire and she says to him she's like i'm trying to figure out why you let me live when you had just killed two other vampires and he makes the comment to her 
and he says, uh, you showed me the error of my thinking. And that's the phrase he uses, you showed me the error of my thinking. My rationale, which was, um, so like, yeah, you may be a vampire, but like, I didn't kill those other two because they were vampires. I killed them because they were kidnappers and murderers. Yeah. Which you are not. Uh, I also do like in, I guess, I think it is this issue where you just have him rise up behind. I just love the framing of this where you're talking about the, sh- the street level, the humanity of it, where it's like he has powers, but not really. Uh, where like he rises up behind this guy and just has a baseball bat and just smacks him in the back of the head. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which I I just really loved that framing of just like the the bad guys I think in the middle of monologuing or something and he just cracks him over the back of the head. Um, yeah. Oh no, it's is that I think that was Hunter's Moon. He did that too. That was yeah. yeah. That was last issue I think, but it was still very yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Jed McKay has been teasing for the last couple of weeks on Twitter that this issue would be the reveal of who's like secretly pulling the strings on all these people who are just making Mr. Knight's life awful. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say who, although I will say I did not know this character. This is not a character I'm familiar with. So he's not new? Is as he... It's a character who exists before, according to McKay. Um, But I will say there was a brief moment when I was like, wait, because the one hint McKay gave was it is someone who has never been a Moon Knight villain before. Uh-huh. And there was this brief moment when I, I was reading and I thought, wait a minute, is Moon Knight fighting Arcade? Yeah, with the red hair, yeah. So what, is, what did he say his name was? Uh, if you don't want to hear it, jump forward now. But Zodiac. Uh, that's right. Who I am Googling now. Yeah, same. Oh shit, this is an old, uh, wait, there's Zodiac Key? Zodiac Cartel? Zodiac Cartel, uh, there is a group called Zodiac that, like, Dan Slott used in his Spider-Man run. Uh. Thanos had a Zodiac, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, I can't find anything on just Zodiac, and it's, yeah, it's that, it's the group that is coming up mainly. Let me check one more place. Of course, then there's, which Marvel, which MCU villain are you based on your Zodiac? Of course. Okay, here we go. Uh, This character has been in 20 issues, uh, created by Joe Casey and Nathan Fox, and first appeared in Zodiac number one under the Dark Rain banner. Oh, shit. The 90s Dark Dark Rain. Wait, that was... No, 2009. Oh, that's... The, like, Civil War... Norman Osborn is Secretary of Defense. Yeah, yeah. Creates yeah. Hammer. Yeah. Uh, anarchist with dreams of one day dominating the criminal underworld. Uh, motivation was seen as rebelling against Osborn uh, during the Dark Avengers run. Seen as uh, rebelling against Osborn. Afterwards has made only infrequent appearances where he is plotting zany, diabolical schemes to undermine those in power. Namely, Steve Rogers in his heroic age. Yeah, um, not the best-known character. Yeah, I, he was there, though. He was yeah. there. Reminds me of one of my favorite Flash villains. Who's up? The Suit. The Suit. The Suit? Are you familiar with The Suit? Can't say I am. 
the suit appeared in two Grant Morrison issues and has been used as a background character a couple more times by like uh Mark Wade. It's a uh supervillain costume that was imbued with dark matter and became sentient and vampiric and drains the life force from its host and moves from host to host and eventually like the flash gets caught by it and it puts it puts itself on the flash to drain him of his speed force energy it's a it's an evil super it's it sounds like it belongs in the tick there was uh well one it reminds me kind of kill a kill kind of uh but then also a it's a kill a kill meets um i forget what weird show or movie it was where it turned out that uh jack the ripper was not a man, but a sentient knife that possessed people that picked it up. Love it. 10 out of 10. No notes. Uh, <laughs> Moon Knight, very good. Very pretty book. I love the coloring in it. Rochelle Rosenberg is killing yeah, it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm really liking it. Uh, it's making me excited to see what they do with Moon Knight with uh, the upcoming Oscar Isaac series. Yeah. Um, I really hope it's more monster fighting and less hyper-violent, angry street hero. It will see, because it's still going on Disney+, Plus, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So. Here is my, here is my uh, hope against hope. I, I, in the way that I do sometimes put on my, they must be building toward this conspiracy theorist hat, like... Like I did with Donnie Cates and the Pet Avengers. Yeah. Um, I am convinced that the MCU, among other things, is now building toward Midnight Suns. And I will explain that crazy red string wall off air. Okay. Because it's got spoilers for a fairly recent thing. Shang-Chi, number six. Written by Jean Lun Yang. Art by DK Ruan. Colors by Triona Farrell. And letters by Travis Lanham. I had to read like three issues of this to catch up because I've been behind on it. Oh my god, this book is so it's, good. I love DK Ruan's art for yes, it. it. It's it's really good. The art's amazing. Um, I will just say, why are they so immediately distrusting of Shang-Chi now that, it, that he's just the head of this organization? Like, he's, he's done, like, he's done nothing. Like, so in this issue, um, I mean, I've got, I, I will say this. I think, like, big picture, uh -huh. the answer is probably exploring tensions around, like, xenophobia pointed toward Asian American communities yeah. in current times. Yeah. Like, I feel like, especially at the time this would have been in development, that's probably where it's coming from. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a possibility. Because, um, yeah, like, so, uh, they, it's finally revealed to Shang-Chi that his Half brother, uh, I forget his actual name, but uh, brother Saber, um, yeah. did a switcheroo and kept the cosmic cube that Shang-Chi hijacked, uh, used, uh, used the organization to hijack uh, a couple of issues prior. And his brother is just like, Well, we're essentially, he was just like, Well, we're villains, like, why are we turning this over to heroes? That's bullshit. Like we're you're ruining the, our reputation, so he just ends up keeping it. Uh, and so because of that, um, the Avengers were not really Avengers, but like uh, what Reed Richards, Tony Stark. Uh, 
It's it's almost more the Illuminati plus Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Illuminati plus Spider-Man, who is just kind of vibing. Because he doesn't really want to fight <laughs> Shang-Chi. He's like, I don't know why y'all are, like, it's it's Shang. It's Shang. I, I want the deleted scene that is an Illuminati meeting. And they're talking about this. And everyone's like, but we have to bring Spider-Man because he's involved. So... All in favor of just calling this Avengers business? <laughs> All opposed? Yeah. The eyes have yeah. it. There you go. Hey, Spidey, the Avengers need yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why is Reed here? Don't worry about it. Honorary member, just like you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they track, of course, the energy signature of the Cosmic Cube. And he's like, hey, you stole the Cosmic Cube. And Sean's like, no, I gave it to you. And then that's when the, you know, switcheroo happens and he realizes, oh, wait, no, he did steal it. Um, and then he turns over his brother, like he, <laughs> he lets his brother get arrested. So now the Avengers are mad at him and his family. Yeah, his family's mad at him. But then Tony is still like, I don't know if he, you know, just let us arrest him to make him think, to make us think that he's on our side. It's like, Tony, come on, you just arrested the man's brother. He is your friend that y'all you've gone to fight against in like innumerable times, and you're gonna just like immediately distrust him when he just lets you arrest his brother. Like he turned this man over, like immediately once he figured out what was going on. Now you know who would pull that kind of switcheroo, Tony Stark. No, Tony definitely would. Uh, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> He definitely would sell his brother out for a purpose. And has. I think Tony's projecting. Yeah, just a little just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um so yeah, it's uh that part is just kind of baffles me a little bit. It's like really? Y'all are yeah, like really y'all are this fast to distrust. Um however, uh I, I put this in the Discord. Uh I realized with this issue that what we the world needs is a honey badger sister dagger crossover. 100%. 100,000%. Uh, especially with Shang and Laura tagging along being like the wet blankets. <laughs> uh-huh. I I need I need Gabby and Esme to meet. Yeah. I th- I think they'd be immediate best friends. You know there would be a non-zero amount of Gabby being like no, that's so cool. Stab me again. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, there's this human pincushion that <laughs> Shang doesn't have to yell at her for stabbing. Yeah. They'd be immediate besties. Okay, couple other books. Radio Apocalypse number one, written by Ram V, art by Anand Radhakrishnan, colors by Anisha, and letters by Aditya Bidikar. This is... Oh, such a hard book to describe. Uh, it is set after some unspecified, ostensibly global catastrophe. It is post-apocalyptic, a post-apocalyptic, post-fall of man, however you want to describe yep. it. Um, small walled cities of, you know, double-digit numbers of survivors just trying to hang on. It is framed around a... Uh, sort of radio DJ who is still broadcasting whatever he can to anyone who can hear it. 
uh, just kind of maybe trying to bring some joy into the otherwise horrifying life in this town. I just, I just, uh, I just had a thought that uh, record executives are still trying to sue him for copyright infringement for playing songs he doesn't have the rights to. <laughs> Even though one hundred percent. And there are a couple of characters who are like new to town who I am sure are going to to figure into what comes on one is an orphan who's kind of kicked out of somewhere else because resource drain and he's just an orphan quote unquote yeah um who's like trying to rob this dude and the dude's like look i can either turn you in or you can stay here and work off the damages of all the stuff you accidentally broke and i will feed you and give you shelter while you do kid's like that's not a choice yeah yeah not if you're smart, no. <laughs> I mean, which I just love that energy from old dude. Not if you're smart, no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all she had to tell me to sell it to me was that Rumby wrote it. I mean, yes. Also, though, like gorgeous. It's the same creative team that did uh, uh, Blue and Green and Graffiti's Wall, which are just two incredible, incredible books. Um, like even the really like nightmarish stuff is pretty. Yeah. In its own way. The, like, hulking flesh wolves. Um, the other characters we meet are, like, one is injured, sick. The other is, like, they are, they are girlfriends who are trying to get each other to this walled city before night falls, which is when these monsters come out and they can't both make it. And It is not a happy book, but it's like weirdly optimistic in ways. And I'm super interested in that balance because that is the kind of thing Rom V does so well. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's, that's one thing that made the, um, the last of us. So such a powerful story was, it's of course started out extremely dark of you know post apocalypse the main you know the main character you play the intro level is holding your dying daughter's body um but yeah then just like the kind of you continue to do terrible shit but it's you then have these these lighter moments of reconnection with with uh Ellie yeah. um i'm really looking forward to part 3 uh, especially with uh, Abby. I really want to play those games, but I am so easily startled, and I am not a big horror person because of it, outside of, like, comics that cannot jump scare me. Um, I, mean, I am it, a big baby. I am a big baby. It, I'm not going to say there's zero jump scares, but it's not... That's not usually the uh, tension that comes from the monsters. You can you gotcha. usually hear them because that's well that's part of the thing with them is that they're um you can hear them coming because they're called uh, their nickname is is clickers so you just you just that's hear right. them yeah. you just hear them clicking in the dark or like you you can gotta hear them like okay they're in this room I can hear the clicking so like I gotta sneak around um you know this particular room uh so there's not there are moments where they just like. It's usually cutscenes where they just like pop through the fucking walls and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it, those are some of my favorite games. Those are amazing games. I played them, I played them back to, I played part one and part two back to back and my brother just texted me, why did you do that to yourself? 
uh, especially the ending to two, which I won't get into, but like it's that's a it's a hell of an ending. Yeah. Speaking of a hell of an ending, Wasted Space number twenty five, the final issue. Uh we actually had Michael Maritzi back on this show before number one came out. Oh. Um to to talk about the book and and I think it was one of it was one of the first books we got like early preview copy of on the show. Uh and it's a lot of fun. It's it's I think at the time he called it like Blade Runner meets Star Wars, which is very apt. <laughs> um yeah. But very much about like hope out of nihilism. Yeah. Um uh, the artist on the book is Hayden Sherman, colors are by Jason Wardy, and letters by Jim Campbell. Um the series as a whole, like, it's about this dude named Billy Bain who was basically a prophet for a space god and then realized he was just being used. And this whole book has been sort of him starting at a point of just, like, floating in a void, numb, feeling nothing, avoiding any kind of emotion or reality or anything like that. And eventually, like, he gets set on a path for revenge. And makes friends along the way. And this last arc has been about him, like, recognizing, oh, yeah, I have friendship in my life. And I love my friends. And, like, mm. I would do anything for them. So now this revenge is not a suicide mission. I'm doing it for them. But also, it's like, still a suicide oh, mission. yeah, <laughs> I've created this scenario that I cannot walk away yeah. from. Whoops. And, like. I for I had to catch up on a couple of issues of this too. I forget if it was this last issue or number twenty four, but there's this great point that feels like the thesis for this series. That is something to the effect of, of course, people want want you to feel like life has no meaning because that gives them an excuse to come in and impose order, impose their will. But if life has no meaning. That is what gives anything that matters meaning because that is choice. Yeah. No, that's if you if you have free will, what you do with that will becomes the most important thing. Like that kind of of idea yeah. is so much of what this book is rooted. Oh, in. that that's that's actual nihilism and not like what edge what internet edge lords think yeah. she was talking about. Like, yeah. Uh. Which like no, it is yeah. it is actual capital in nihilism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not the not the nihilists in the uh, <laughs> the Big Lebowski. <laughs> I think I might have told the story about this on here recently, but I had a couple of folks at the comic shop, not anyone I know, just other customers who were in the same day. One of them could not remember the word nihilism, and I'm like, "Is this what you're looking for?" They're like, "Yeah." You must love Big Lebowski. I'm like, I've never seen it. And then they got so mad at me. <laughs> well, the... Yeah, so I, I don't know if anyone's told you the plot of it, but, like, it's... So they do run into these group of nihilists that, like, may or may not have been hired to kidnap the Big Lebowski's uh, wife who goes missing. Um, And so, like, yeah, so... The dude who is also has the same name as the big Lebowski. Um uh yeah, so like the nihilists break into that's the nihilists are the ones that uh I think are the ones that piss on his rug. 
and I am nodding along as though I have even that much reference for this movie. It's, I know there's bowling, and I know that there are white Russians. It's yeah, uh, yeah. The dude loves white Russians. Uh, and I know that the dude abides. The dude does abide. The dude abides. Um, also, my town has. So I, I have never been able to go to it, but I want to just for the experience. So every November, my uh, local theater, uh, it's been around since 1929. So it's like one of those big, grand, singular uh, screens. Um, yeah. And uh, every year they have, it's called The Bird is the name of the name of the theater. So every year they have uh the big Lebirdsky fest. <laughs> uh every every November and so like people dress up and they even have a uh thing going with a local bowling thing where people go bowling before the movie and um it's 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 a great neo noir actually. Uh which I don't know if I don't know if anyone's ever described it that way to you, but it is. It's a neo noir. No, that's Officially the most interested I've ever been in seeing it. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, because that's the entire, so the entire plot is, is that these guys break into the dude's place. They fuck him up, piss on his rug, and so they're like, oh, well, like, they thought you were this other guy who has your name. So, like, you should go to him and get compensation for the rug. Uh, and so he does, and then it, it and then he gets roped into, uh, this kidnapping scheme and like it's so he like he's it's plot ensues essentially but it's just like it's this <laughs> it's it's this insane chain of events that then happens to this guy who's very who's very literally zen like there's even a book called the philosophy of the big lebowski and it talks about uh compares him to zen Lef uh, philosophy uh incredible yeah. so it's it's it is a it is a legitimately great movie cool all right, this week's books. Black Panther number one, written by John Ridley, art by Juan Cabal, colors by Federico Blay, and letters by Joe Sabino. One of those books that has gotten delayed so many times that I'm a little, little disbelieving of the fact that it will actually come out. Uh, yeah, cause, yeah, because it's been like, what, July since, uh, since yeah. Coates uh, finished his run? Yeah. Um, my choice... Uh, for next week, I'm looking forward to uh, a new Hulk number one uh, by Donny Cates, pencils by Ryan Otley, and cover by Ryan Otley, too. Yeah. I, uh, I'll i probably grab the first issue of that, just to, just to see how it is. I'm not a huge Hulk person. Yeah. Uh, even though I love that creative team, and in fact, that creative team is why I will check it out. It may be a trade book for yeah. me. Because I did just do 50 issues of the Hulk, which is a lot of Hulk for me. Oh, what, the Immortal Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm curious. I am at least curious mm -hmm. there. Uh, also, the Hulk gets sent to space, which I like, or chooses to go to space. Like, Hulk space hijinks I'm very interested in. I mean, Planet Hulk is definitely one of the best Hulk stories they've yeah. ever done. Planet Hulk and then going into World War Hulk is just was fantastic we also have hawkeye kate bishop number one of five written by marika Niekamp, pencils by anita balam inks by oren hunior 
Colors by Brittany Pierre and Letters by Joe Caramagna. Honestly, I could not tell you what's happening in this book, but I love me some Hawkeye Kate Bishop. Uh, I'm down for whatever. Like, it's five issues. It's a miniseries. It's easy for me to commit to. And we're coming up. We're so... In fact, I guess by the time the next episode comes out, the first episode of Hawkeye will have been released. Uh... Yeah, because it's... Because that's Friday. Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah, premiering over the Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Gotta get your Hawkeye on. Also, almost all the covers have Lucky on them, which makes me happy. Uh, which... Good, good pizza yeah, dog. Yeah, which he is, uh, he is also... I believe he is also in the show, officially. He is. Apparently, Fraction was a consulting producer on the show. Mm-hmm. Um... Not that I was worried about it, but now I am like whatever the opposite of worried is. <laughs> I am anti-worried. It's, it's ever like ever since there was a slight shakeup in the uh, where like Kevin Feige got more control. Um, yeah. By by more control, I mean Kevin Feige was was in a position to allow creatives to have more well- control. He answers directly to the board now and can uh, can bypass Ike Perlmutter. Yeah. That was the yeah, difference. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, and it's like all the board would care about is money. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, just uh, Haley Steinfeld is perfect casting. Perfect casting for Kate. Like this is the first time the actual casting has been my dream casting. Oh, they, well, the casting director for the MCU deserves a special Oscar. Just yeah. like uh, Chadwick Bosman as as T'Challa, um, Chris Evans as uh, Captain America. Which the other day I realized everything he did before Captain America, and also kind of after, he's just a complete asshole. Yeah, just an utter douchebag. It's so funny to me. <laughs> and we have one more, start of a new arc of Thor. Yes. Thor number 19, God of Hammers, is that what this one's I called? I believe so. This yes. arc? Written by Donny Cates, art by Nick Klein. Uh, this was one of your picks, too. Yes, I am. I have been, I've been loving me this Thor run. Um, it's, uh, yeah, just great. Uh, it's it's one of the first times it's felt that Thor has, is a god and not just uh, this super-powered alien being. Like, it fe- he, like yeah. he feels like a god. Yeah. Uh, also, with Kate's writing both Hulk and Thor, it is inevitable that the two of them are going to, you know, find themselves in fisticuffs, yeah, right? Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's constantly uh, a pissing match between them of which one is stronger. Yeah. Uh, although, since he has some cosmic powers now, I think Thor might finally have the edge. <laughs> uh, or we get, or we'll get the "That's my friend from work" vibes. Yeah, no. <laughs> We're friends from work. Boom! <laughs> just, just, uh, I just went through this whole re- series of su- uh, of rabbit holes in my head that was like, "That's got the same energy as." What we do in the shadows. Wouldn't that be an interesting... Oh, wait, of course it does. They're both... They're both... <laughs> uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Taika Waititi. Taika, yeah, Taika Waititi. Uh, I need to watch the show he produced, which is... um. Uh, 
set on that uh, a Native American reservation, Reser- not reservoir dogs, reservation dogs. Yeah. I didn't realize he was attached to that. Yeah, he's, he's an executive producer. I think mainly because, cool. like, he's starting to use... <laughs> it's kind of funny. So, like, he, of course, with Marvel and what we do in the shadows, he kind of he's kind of able to do what he wants. Um, and so he, he he's a very interesting man because he is uh, half Jewish, half... Uh, Ma- Maui? Is that... Maori? Maori? Uh, which is a, a, a hell of a combination. Um, so that's why he did, uh, Jojo Rabbit, yeah. uh, and then Reservation Dogs, uh, was, I guess, like, he, I guess, like, I, he didn't create it, but he produced it, and I think be- it's because, like, oh, like, I, you know, I want more Native voices, like, I want that side of me to be lifted up more, so. Yeah, um, which is awesome. Yeah. And I think that's gonna do it for us this week. Thank you again for joining us uh where can folks find more of you um well of course uh every other friday uh is fables and reflections with my co-host jd uh our most recent episode just dropped this past friday which is sandman overture um and uh we have that's our eighth episode we're approaching our 10th episode uh i guess right before the new year um and also, I believe sometime in December is the Mid of Steel episode that I guested on with JD about um, Miracle about the Gaiman's run on Miracle Man. So that is also in the CPOV network upcoming. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but you can find uh, Fables and Reflections on Twitter at FNRPod as well as Instagram. Uh, for updates awesome we would as always like to thank chase parker for our intro voiceover panelology is a member of the certain pov network if you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture go to certainpov.com. visit us at panelologypodcast.com support us at patreon.com slash panelology get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch capital p capital m or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash panelology mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm Angela Bones Bullock. Go read comics. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.